Our God is a God of possibilities. We open up more possibilities when we're willing to take that that step of humbly, hopefully, joyfully stewarding our influence in a healthy way, in a way that views politics as just one form of, of loving our neighbor. Welcome to the Jesus Storybook Bible Podcast, a place where we remind you that grace can rewrite any story, that hope shines a light through our darkest moments, and that God's love changes lives. Here's your host, New York Times bestselling author, Sally Lloyd-Jones. Hello, I'm Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which tells the story of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Welcome to the show. Today we're talking about politics. No, wait, don't turn off the podcast. It's not what you think. We may all be wondering, does talking about politics do any good? In such a contentious time, when we're all so deeply divided, don't we all just end up shouting at each other and making everything worse? Our guest today brings us a beautiful message of hope and empowerment. He tells us there's a different way. There is something we can do, and it's probably not what we think. Michael Ware is a leading strategist, speaker, and practitioner at the intersection of faith and politics and public life. He's advised a president and leading foundations and nonprofits and public leaders. Michael says politics doesn't have to be a fight. It can be a forum for loving your neighbor. Isn't that wonderful? He shares how faith communities can participate in the public sphere as a form of service, shifting their focus from effecting policy to helping people flourish. Flourish, it's that word again, shalom, human flourishing, that beautiful Hebrew word. Author Cornelius Plantinger described shalom as we call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Michael shares with us the powerful lesson he learned from the late Dallas Willard and how specifically it's influenced him and can be a life-changing thing for all of us in this particular time in which we live. We all have influence, but how do we steward that influence and responsibility? I can't wait for you to hear from our wise and gentle and humble guest. So without further ado, please welcome my friend and now yours, Michael Ware. My name is Michael Ware. I'm the founder and CEO of the Center for Christianity and Public Life. And that's a new organization, a new nonprofit with the mission to contend for the credibility of Christian resources in public life for the public good. We're based in DC, but work nationally. I, I came to this role after 
you know, really 15 years in public life, both in government. I worked in the White House, and then I've served as a consultant for a long time, helping Christian leaders and organizations navigate public questions. This was really a passion of mine from a from a relatively young age. I became a Christian when I was 15 after reading Romans and was pretty quickly after that, the question of what it means to be faithful in and with public things became kind of the, the question God placed on, on my heart. And that's guided much of my life. That's really a, a lot of what my life has been about since then. As a citizen of this country, of America, or anyone living in a representative democracy like we do, you do not choose to have political influence. You already have it by just the very nature of being a citizen. And so the the question when it comes to politics and for Christians when it comes to all of life is how do you steward the responsibility you have to love and honor and bring glory to God and love your neighbor. We actually don't have to go to politics seeking our own self-interest above all else. We can have an other-centered approach to politics that we can, yes, consider our self-interest and that of our families. We can also bring to our political decisions the interests of others, particularly the least of these, particularly the most vulnerable. And so I, I do say that politics is an essential forum for loving your neighbor. As C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes, and I'm paraphrasing here a bit, but he says, you know, scripture does not offer a particular political program. It's to be used to inform men and women in their time, in their circumstances. But we get into a dangerous place where we think that our views on particular issues are sort of God-ordained or sort of the only faithful way to think about a discrete issue. And when we do that, then we could hold our views a little more lightly. Our identity is not so profoundly implicated by political disagreement. You don't need to take every challenge and every conversation that's being offered to you. <laughs> you know, I think so, th there is this sort of idea that you need to take up every contrary viewpoint and sort of constantly be seeking out ways to disagree about politics. Sometimes you can make the determination, this isn't going to be a fruitful exchange and sort of decide not to engage in that way. Dallas Willard is someone who's been very influential in my life, and he was a philosophy professor at USC in Southern California. And there's a story about him, a student challenged him in class, and there was someone in the classroom who knew that Dallas sort of had the answer. He knew how to shut down the student's argument, but Dallas didn't respond and he let sort of the bell ring, so to speak, and the class let out. And the person who knew Dallas, who was in the classroom, walked up to him and said, why didn't you rebut that student? You, you could have totally dismantled his argument. And Dallas said, you know, I'm practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. 
And I think that's a really powerful idea, especially in our time and moment today. I think there's a growing sentiment that sort of Christians can't be completely comfortable in sort of either of our political parties. And I think that's right. That's that's something that I've really advanced for much of my career. I do think there's a danger of it sort of souring into a just a sense of loss or a sense of, well, I don't fit in perfectly. So therefore, you know, politics, you, you know, it, it really isn't isn't for me. If I don't have a place in politics where I'm completely comfortable, then why would I participate politically at all? And what I'm trying to advance is like, yes, it's a, it's a really good step for you to recognize that you won't, as, as a Christian, if you find yourself fitting in perfectly without any tension with a political candidate or a party, that can be a cause for concern because it might suggest that you're getting your values and your marching orders from that candidate or that political party rather than from the gospel and from Christian teachings and history. So yes, have that recognition, but we don't need to be completely comfortable to participate. That's why we're to be in the world, but not of the world. The Christian's call is to be faithful, even in the midst of trying circumstances, even, as the psalmist says, in the valley of the shadow of death. And so certainly we can handle being a part of a diverse country with people who view important things differently than we do and not sort of bring to that a spirit of embattlement or of anger, but one of joyful confidence. And what will help with that is if we do view politics as a forum for service, as a forum for loving our neighbor. If we go to politics, viewing politics as the area where we get our self-interest advance, then yes, we will find it very difficult whenever we don't get our way or whenever sort of uh, we don't achieve what we went to achieve. But if we view politics as one forum in which we can love our neighbor, then we can let go of some of those those outcomes and, and just try to be faithful in, in the place and the situation that, that God has placed us. Well, Sally and I have some mutual friends, but, you know, this book, what a blessing it's been for so many kids, so many parents, so many families. It gives us sort of a, an early vernacular and vocabulary for, for talking about the things of God and like what's more, what's more important than that. Daniel is probably one of my favorite. I mean, it's it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament generally, but I just love the language that's used to capture sort of Daniel's heart through the experience. Daniel and the Scary Sleepover. This is from Daniel 6. Daniel loved God and obeyed him. Now, God made Daniel able to understand lots of difficult things, so it wasn't long before the king of Babylon noticed him. The other helpers didn't like this. They wanted the king to like them best. They wanted to get rid of Daniel. And so these men who were out to get Daniel conspired to get the king to pass a law saying that you were only allowed to pray to the king, not to God. Daniel heard this. He knew it was wrong to pray to anyone except God, and he had to do what God said, whatever it cost him, even if it meant he would die. 
So Daniel continued to pray. The bad men, this was just what they wanted. And so they skipped straight off to tell the king, Oh, your most glittering highness, your law says, does it not that everyone must pray to you alone, sire? Uh, The king admitted yes. And the bad men said, Oh, magisterial brightness, then correct us if we're wrong. It would seem that Daniel is praying to God, not to you. The king was sad. He had been tricked. He didn't want to hurt Daniel, but he couldn't change his law. And so he let the soldiers throw Daniel to the lions. May your God, who you love so much, rescue you, the king said. The king went back to his palace. He didn't sleep that night. He tossed and turned until finally, at the first glimmer of dawn, he leaped out of bed and ran straight to the den. Daniel, he cried, has your king rescued you? Yes, Daniel shouted. God sent an angel to close the lion's mouth. And there, resting his head on Daniel's lap, was the biggest lion purring like a little kitten. This is an incredible story of Daniel's faithfulness being, you know, met and exceeded by the faithfulness of God. Daniel was in a political office of a sort, and he was not constantly going around trying to get other folks in trouble because they weren't doing things exactly how he do them. He tried to serve the king as best he could. But there were some lines that he wouldn't cross. There were some commitments that he had that went beyond his duties to the king, like like praying to the one and true God and the one and true king. It's a good story about how safe we are when we are following the way of God, even sort of as there's all sort of peril around us. The safest place Daniel could have been was in his room praying to God. And that's not what conventional wisdom would have us think, but that was the truth, and God proved it. You can get the Jesus Storybook Bible wherever books are sold. To find out more about the book and all of Sally's other books, please visit Sally at sallylloyd-jones.com and follow her on Instagram at Sally Lloyd-Jones and at Jesus underscore storybook underscore Bible. Before we go, don't forget, God loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Oh, hello, it's me again, Sally. I'm just popping back briefly to say two things. The first thing is, don't forget to subscribe to the show because that way you'll get the stories straight to your phone. And the other thing is, while we're at it, would you rate the show and leave us a review? That would be so great because it helps other people find the show too. I really appreciate your help. Thank you.